and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. I am your host, Provincial Affairs reporter Emma Graney. It is Friday, June 8, 2018, and this is a School's Out for Summer edition. Oh, now I can hear Alice Cooper in my head. <laughs> It'll be in there for the rest of the week. You're so welcome, Paula. With Thank me today, you. my fellow legislative reporter, Claire Clancy. How are you, mate? I'm great and obsession great. Yes. Yes. Happiness. Paula Simons, still recovering week, from a week cold. Week three of this cold, as uh, as pod, you know, podcast listeners will know, because I have to like hear more about this cold than it, my family than, members do. Than politics. <laughs> Let's just talk about Paula's health. And you've got your bottle of Buckley's there I again, have my bottle so. of Buckley's. I have my Ricola. I have some Kleenex that I stole from Janet in my pocket. <laughs> They weren't. They weren't used Kleenex. They were fresh ones. From <laughs> but they shouldn't yeah. give them back. <laughs> no, and Graham Thompson, how are you, mate? I uh, took the bike in today. Motorbike, that is. It's a nice morning. It's supposed to um, rain really hard because I rode my bicycle in as well, my non-motor bicycle, and uh, was watching those clouds going. I know. Wah, wah. But uh, no, it may rain tomorrow night. When we're going to the rugby. That's right, Scotland versus Canada. It's going to be so much fun. Getting my kilt out. Yeah, um, my husband, Yuri, did a little uh, explainer on the Edmonton Journal about what rugby is. It includes photos of Dan Carter. Woo-woo! So anyway, you should go watch that. Um, we're talking the end of session because it's over. Spring session is done for another year. We're going to talk about the highlights, the lowlights, the bills, some of the things that happened. And we'll do a bit of reflection over what it all means for politics and perhaps the upcoming election next year. Uh, we're also going to talk about Pride. Hooray! Happy Pride Week, everyone. One of the best weeks of the year. So much fun. There's so much cool stuff happening. Um, anyway, we're not going to be giving you a list of events. We're actually going to be talking <laughs> about the political things that have happened around Pride this week, including a UCP breakfast and a heartfelt, heart-rendering speech by um, Alberta Party House Leader Rick Fraser. So, yes, we will talk about all that Maybe more. Hard to say for sure. You never know where this is going to go. But let's start off with end of session, seeing as it is now wrapped up. It's nice, isn't it, Clancy? It's very nice. They took until the final days. The very final day. There was talk that perhaps they would try and wrap it up quickly. They were going to try and wrap it up kind of before the May long. Obviously, that did not happen. And when we asked uh, UCP leader Jason Kenney about what his plans were uh, in order of wrapping up the session, he kind of said... I don't believe in giving them an extra day and not holding them to account every single day, so we'll be running this for as long as we possibly can. And they did. (laughs) He was true to his word on that, absolutely was. Graham, what were some of the highlights for you this session? (laughs) Um, Not a lot of highlights, a lot of lowlights. Of course, a highlight for the UCP was having um, Jason Kenney for the first time as an elected MLA in the House. Right. The leader was actually there. So, of course, he tried to change... Well, he did. He changed the tenor of mm-hmm. the House. We discussed this earlier. He made a point of telling his caucus, no thumping on the desks, no no applauding, no heckling the opposition, uh, the meaning government. the government, <laughs> <laughs> which is the opposition. <laughs> Their opposition. Exactly. So you had uh, him in the House asking questions, but his people were not thumping in support, and they were not heckling the NDP. But, of course, the NDP was heckling him all the time, and it, he he would stop quite a few times. See, I don't know that it's heckling. I, I just have problems because it was, it was like, you know, fake laughter, yeah, and like, oh, come on. But it's not like he'd get up and talk and they'd be like, boo, you suck, Jason. No, he, but he would make a point of stopping and saying to the speaker, you know, they're heckling me again. I know. And, you know, can you make it stop? And the speaker at one point, uh, Bob Warner, the speaker, said, 
Look, it's me who decides if it gets out of hand, not you. I make it the ruling on if it's getting out of hand. So, but Kenny would very often complain about being heckled and ridiculed. Heckling is actually part of the rules, yeah. right? I mean, this isn't. I mean, it, I mean, it good. I mean, good, clever heckling is part of parliamentary debate. It has a long-standing Westminster parliamentary tradition. Uh, you can't just say no one, no one is allowed to interrupt me. And uh, there's a big difference between like, yeah, I was thinking the same thing, Paul. And there's a big difference between heckling and insulting someone unfairly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, if you're bullying and harassing the speaker and making it impossible for them to carry on, that's that's bad form. That's not cricket. But, you know, Jason <laughs> Kenney is not some vulnerable little dormouse. I mean, you know, and he can certainly dish it out. If he can't take it, that is his issue. Yeah, it's a bit of a glass jaw situation. You know, he'll, he likes to attack his opponents. He'll say he's being very respectful, of course, during this. He didn't do it in the session when he publicly... Um, Dissed the Prime Minister. The Prime Minister by calling him as shallow as a finger bowl and couldn't read a briefing note longer than, than a cocktail napkin. It took, it took him a week to actually almost kind of walk that back. But anyway, going back to the whole session, the two things that stood out for me were Bill 9. We can get into that in more detail regarding the abortion bubble bill, but also Bill 12. This is the turning of the taps yep. bill. And those are the two the two big things from this session. Other than that, to me, there wasn't a lot in this session. you got to wonder what's, what's going to happen in the fall sitting when there'll be even less, I think, uh, there'll be less bills or fewer bills to go through. I mean, and the word to characterize this session is pipelines. Like when you go back to as far as February with the wine ban, it seems like forever ago, but it's just been week after week of pipeline news and Kinder Morgan debate. be more of that debate. over the summer. And that's why yeah. I keep dreaming about pipelines. They just don't stop in my in my dreams, yeah. in my waking hours, my dreams. It's concerning. <laughs> it is a little concerning. You're right, Clancy. Yeah. I should seek, uh, seek help on that. There were a few other bills that passed. So we had the... Uh, I have the paper here that I wrote about yesterday. It's, it's, it's paper, guys. I have a paper. A physical paper. Physical paper. Um, you should go get yours today. <laughs> Subscribe. Bill 1 was the Energy Diversification Act. Now, it was interesting, Graham. Remember when the, when the session started and we were like, oh, this is boring. Like, Bill 1 should always be something that's kind of a little more, I don't know, has a little more oomph to it, a little more exciting. So Bill 1 was the Energy Diversification Act. It allowed the province to spend up to a billion bucks over the next eight years as part of a, um, to upgrade facilities, um, basically for upgrading so that they could kind of invest, if you will, in some private um, or... I, they don't like to use that word. They want to say that they're financially backstopping them but helping them out with loans and that kind of thing to try and diversify the energy industry. Um, we also had Bill 5. Clancy, you remember this one? So this bill was, yeah, it was closing a gap. It came after a private member's bill last session that didn't pass um, or died on the order paper, but it was, um, yeah, Bill 5 uh, allows people to uh, create trusts for um, people with disabilities and their family, basically. Yeah, yeah, and so then they're not going to miss out on benefits exactly. if like, their parent dies and they inherit the house. They're not going to then lose all of their benefits just because they happen to be staying in the same house they've lived in their entire life. Yeah, yeah so exactly. To, to Brian Malkinson, who was the... Mm. Spearheading the, that yeah. one, yeah. I I quite liked Bill 7 just because I thought it was adorable. It was um, supporting Alberta's Local Food Sector Act. So it created a um, it created a local food week each August, which kind of uh, it connects itself to open farm days here in Alberta, which is a super fun time if you ever get to go and do that. Um, it also established a new local food council and dealt with provincial organic food standards, which was kind of a, a gap here in Alberta because it's federally regulated. So if you had organic food, basically, and you were only selling in Alberta, 
the rules didn't apply to you and you couldn't have your food labelled as organic. So that's what this bill changes. Um, we also had Bill 16, which is what the millionth bill that the NDP has had about changing election finance rules. Maybe less than a million, but not many less than a million, I would say. Um, it makes a change to election finance rules so that parties can't pool their funds to break the $2 million spending limit during elections and by-elections. Yeah, and they just, you're right, they had bill after bill on kind of democratic renewal Oh my issues. God, Does, it, <laughs> since I started down there at the ledge, it's that's happened at least once a session. They've had one big bill or one big committee or a committee dissolve over discussions about the democratic renewal process. But I mean, but this just shows why it was kind of a an undramatic session. I mean, yeah. the, the two big pieces of legislation were Bill 12 and Bill 9. The opposition largely agreed with Bill 12. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of debate around, but there's also debate in the public around Bill 12, lots of debate with British Columbia about Bill 12. But within the legislature, there weren't fireworks. Bill 9 was the other big thing. And if the opposition walks out and doesn't take part in the debate, uh, then, you know, again, so, I mean, it, it's strange. I mean, for Jason Kenney, I can only imagine that this was quite a frustrating session because he wasn't able to get a lot of personal traction. It was his first chance to be in the House, his debut session. And the two big issues of the session, you know, the one he abdicated from and, and the other he, you know, was largely put in a position where he had to agree with the government. And on that, Paula, you make an interesting point on the pipelines and the oil, the pipeline issue here. So a few times this session, Jason Kenney would put forward a private, private member's motion that the government would have to, I don't know, urge the federal government to get off their asses and do something about the pipeline. I'm obviously paraphrasing. That is not what the motion said, but that's the general vibe. Um, Graham, he did that a few times, eh? <laughs> yeah, he did. He's trying to get some traction, as Paula said. He's trying to inject himself into the debate. But um, the, yeah, the problem for him is Bill 9. Of course, they all literally walked out of the building, uh, out of the uh, the assembly, rather, uh, rather than debate the Bill 9 on the abortion bubble zone. They, they saw it as a trap. They're, the government's trying to trap it's them. A trap. Into, into discussing abortions as opposed Climate to the abortion trauma. bubble zone. And then... I can't walk out. <laughs> Graham, you're not allowed to say anything ever. <laughs> we'll just keep interrupting. I, I'll just... I'll, yeah, exactly. Um, and I'll sing my response, but you don't want that. <laughs> and then we had, of course, Bill 12. And, and you're right. He... he He's left just trying to say the government's not being tough enough. They've got to be tougher and, and shut off... The, turn off the taps now. And he's in a position where he's very ineffective on this. Now, you could argue that he, he has set the tone and the government's followed his tone, and he's the one that first began talking about turning off the taps last year, which is true, but the government, in a sense, has taken his ball and run with it, and he's left on the, on the sidelines, basically. Now, we'll see what happens this summer, because, of course, if the pipeline gets under construction and there's not a massive protest in, in B.C., and it's actually moving along quite nicely, thank you very much. That's a huge win for Notley. But there's a big but here coming in terms of Sephora Berman uh, saying that all hell's going to break loose in, in B.C. And, of course, she is uh, a well-known environmentalist. She was actually hired by the Notley government. Yeah, that's going to haunt them forever. Oh, I know. She and, says and, she and doesn't many regret fronts. it. We asked her yesterday about that. Graham uh, asked Notley. Well, the thing is, though, she at, said. at first she said that, but then she started saying, I was saying, look, because Berman actually helped them. Like She was on the oil sands uh, advisory board, and she helped the government draw up its climate leadership plan, including the 100 megaton uh, cap on the oil sands. 
so Berman that helped. That was her the doing. That was her pen came up with that idea of the emissions and now, cap. And now Berman is attacking the uh, Alberta government for not doing enough, and it's time to shut down the, the oil sands, basically, and turn off the tap, meaning let's, let's not get any more uh, <laughs> expansion in the oil sands. So you've got Berman, who was brought into the tent by the NDP hoping, in a sense, to co-opt the environmentalists, also get social license and get them on side. It backfired. And now Berman's going to be leading the fight in British Columbia against the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. And she's somebody who knows how to organize a protest. She was involved in the war in the woods 25 years ago that uh, basically helped stop logging on the, the Vancouver Island, the Clayquot Sound um, protests. And she plans on bringing all she learned to the protest now, including, if necessary, going to jail uh, from you know for actually trying to stop this pipeline from being constructed. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. So yesterday, the um, the parties gave their wrap up end of session news conferences, and the UCP's rather kind of lackluster one. It's when Jason Nixon was kind of listing things. It yeah. was things like you know debt and pipelines were an issue but then the question is kind of where did they really come out and give these um like i don't know impassioned fights against what the government was doing because i think there were issues maybe they didn't press hard enough on that they could have like i think debt was kind of forgotten and that was a big issue when the budget first came out yeah and you're right clancy because he came out um jason nixon the ucp house leader came out to do his um you know, to, to do the rap. And he, he spoke for about oh, 25, maybe 30 seconds about what the UCP had um, had accomplished this session. And then he said, and now I'll take your questions. And, of course, it went straight to Bill 9. But, yeah, right. I mean, he could have spent more time maybe saying what they'd actually done, you know, about the economy and about jobs and about pipelines. I mean, you know, there, there were options there, but he just didn't take them during which, the Which, which left it open for the media again to go after them on Bill 9. Why did you walk out? Why didn't you stay in? So, yeah, Bill 9 was, of course, the abortion bubble zone bill, and the UCP refused to vote. They um, refused to debate. They had one statement during the entire debate, and that was made by justice critic Angela Pitt. Um, at the very beginning. At the very beginning. And then they would be in there for the debate, and they would sit there looking at their phones, reading books on their computers, not listening to a word that was being said. Uh, Nixon had a go at the government yesterday saying, well, if it was that, imp- to his point of them playing political games, said, well, if the NDP was that set on getting it through, they could have pushed it through in an afternoon. It took them 56 days. On that point, though, no, they couldn't because Derek Fildebrand, the independent conservative member for Strathmore Brooks, he was filibustering the bill. <laughs> and I think, too, his argument, uh, Nixon continuously has made the argument, too, like, why wasn't it in the throne speech? Why did we just hear about it mid-session? Well, which I thought was so That's a dinky ridiculous. argument, yeah, though, because completely. the UCP, let's not forget, didn't care. I mean, the Wild Rose nor the PCs campaigned on the fact that they would eventually blow up both of their parties and combine to become the UCP so they can hardly turn around and, you know, hold the government there and say, well, you never mentioned it earlier. Well, you guys didn't mention that you were going to become an entirely new party and merge with another one. And so make a point of that. saying the NDP did not mention the carbon tax during the election campaign, and, yeah, and that's and that's the reason for fighting against it. Yeah. Um, of course, when it comes to Bill 9. No. I mean, so what if the NDP dragged it out to make a political point? So what if the NDP played a political game? They won. Game, set, match. I mean, uh, if you don't want them to play the political game, then maybe don't abdicate your responsibility to be part of the parliamentary process. I mean, I mean, you know what? It's it's performance art. I mean, the politics, it, politics, not just politics, but a, a, but a legislative session, right? I mean, it is a piece of political theater, and 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, Jason Nixon is completely right. The NDP totally dragged that out longer than they had to. And so what? That that was the strategy the NDP adopted. I think it served them well. Um, the fact that the UCP decided to play into their hands uh, just made it all the better strategic win. The thing about Nixon, well, he kept changing the reason why they walked out during yeah. the news conference. This is funny. We're pushing him out. Keep, why did you walk out? What was it game playing? What do you mean by game playing? What do you mean by... What's the game, Jason? What's, what's the game? And, <laughs> and, and he, you know, of course the game was the NDP trying to get them to discuss abortion, so he wouldn't go down that road. And then we said, you wouldn't even debate it. Yes, we did debate. Uh, we did debate it at the very beginning, you know, and he talks about as if, as if Angela Pitt actually was involved in the debate. She made a statement and then she walked out. Yeah. And then she walked out alleging that she was leaving because she'd been heckled, heckled in, which is nonsense. So so they kept changing the reason why they wouldn't debate or vote. And that and the thing is you could see uh, Nixon getting more and more irritated with the media because he wouldn't give us a straight answer. So we we're pushing him for a straight answer. I think and speaking of games, we knew what he was trying to do by avoiding it. He must have known what we we're trying to get him to say and that is the UCP because they have very some members got very strong feelings against abortions, did not want to get into a debate in case the debate turned into a debate over abortion as opposed to the bubble zone bill on abortion clinics. And the UCP didn't want to go down there in case they got a bozo abruption. I think they didn't trust their own members in a lot of ways not to say something. It was interesting to hear Nixon say his constituents had told him uh, we don't want you participating in political game playing <laughs> yeah, in the no, legislature, which I find very hard to believe. But <laughs> I haven't told my local MLA anything ever to do anything or not. Well, th- there was a fellow on Twitter who said, hey, I'm one of your constituents, and here's, uh, let me tweet out a copy of the letter I wrote to you saying, you know, because I'm, <clears throat> I mean, if you are a pro-life person, I mean, that's perfectly, I mean, it's it's not my political perspective, but it's a legitimate political perspective, mm-hmm. then stand up for what you believe. I mean, if I if I were a pro-life UCPer, I wouldn't have been so thrilled to see my MLA turn and tail and run. Well, let's not forget that pro-life groups did write open letters to the UCP say, slamming them for walking out of the Bill 9 vote and not debating it because they saw that as a massive abdication of their responsibility to stand up for pro-life, which is a view that Jason Kenney holds. But I don't see this hurting the UCP. The, the, no. the, the long, longer-term picture, maybe look, look kind of look kind of foolish now and hypocritical and cowardly, yes. But longer term, it won't, it won't hurt them. And the bigger issue in people's minds, much bigger issue, is economy, pipelines, jobs. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and the upshot is that women will now be able to access uh, gynecological care. I mean, because those clinics don't just do abortion, but they do all kinds of other birth control and, and uh, uh, family planning, counseling, and, and such. People will now be able to go into those clinics without being harassed, and that's a win. I mean, it, it's fine to talk about the political game, but at the end of the day, uh, it makes it safer for patients. It makes it safer for nurses and doctors and other healthcare providers. Uh, so now we can move on to the next topic, Emma. And just before we do, oh, no. just very, very, very briefly, uh, there were two amendments, I suppose, passed to government bills. One by the Alberta Party, which managed to get a sunset clause um, jammed into Bill Bill 12 there about controlling the oil flow. And Derek Fildebrand managed to get an amendment to Bill 9. Um, out of the million amendments he put forward, one, one of, of them the more passed. entertaining parts of <laughs> yeah, of, of he didn't walk out. He voted. Good he, on him. He, he had a good session. He did. He did. Yeah. It was interesting to see Derek Fildebrand. This was the first time he's been um, been sitting in the corner and his, as his independent conservative independent is his um, official title there. And he was interesting to watch this session because I got the feeling that he was like, 
he felt a little freer, I think, to be talking about whatever he was talking Filter about. Hildebrand unbound. <laughs> Hildebrand unchained. Uh, yeah, so that was an interesting session. All right, now we can move on. It is Pride Week. As we said, happy Pride. Woo! Clancy, you're actually working this weekend. I am working this weekend. And, um Yeah, I'm now, excited. The Pride Parade's on Saturday, but now there is a political side to this. What are you doing tomorrow? There is. So um, I'll be doing a couple of stories tomorrow. The pancakes. Pancakes, yeah. <laughs> the journal covers Pride, obviously. And so I'll be doing kind of a general Pride story, I think. And um, But I'm also going to swing by the UCP Pancake Breakfast, which is um, basically last week... Uh, Basically, the UCP had applied to march in the Pride Parade, and their application was rejected. That happened about a month ago. Um, and so when we were asking uh, Jason Kenny kind of what the UCP is doing uh, for Pride, he said they're having a pancake breakfast on Saturday. It's open to everybody. Um, and Although I, it wasn't initially, right? No, it was. Yeah, It, wait. it was. It was never members only. Okay, because yeah. why did it... Why did the story come out that it was members only? So initially, uh, Jason Kenny said the UCP is having a pancake breakfast, and it was kind of vaguely explained, but it is open to everyone. It was never specifically members only. Okay. Everyone's yeah, Thank you. welcome. Because the first news stories I saw said members only, and I saw people on Twitter saying, you know, what kind of pancake breakfast right. is only for only for UCP members. No, but, yeah. But, but anyone, we can, we can all schnorr a free pancake. Yes. yes. Every single <laughs> yeah. one of us can go and get free pancakes. And uh, Kenny is expected to speak, um, so hopefully I'll get to hear his comments. Um, and uh, yeah, it's kind of, I mean, it'll be interesting just because there has been so much controversy this session over where the UCP stands on gay rights and if they are going to at all protect gay rights. There was the controversy over GSA last session. Um, mm. So yeah, yeah Gay straight alliances in schools, of course, they didn't they voted against that. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because, you know, the UCP is very, it's juxtaposed to the NDP and the Alberta Party who both had their applications accepted to March in Pride. Uh, Ricardo Miranda, Culture and Tourism Minister, is the Grand Marshal of yeah, the parade think, on yeah, Saturday, them, yeah. um, along with two other MLAs from the NDP as well. So, yeah, so it's it'll be interesting, I think, to see kind of how the UCP breakfast uh, differs and kind of who shows up. Well, and it's fascinating because, you know, the UCP, I, I wrote a column about this at the time, they put in a very half-assed application. I mean, it really looked like somebody had written it at the last minute on the back of a cocktail napkin. Um, <laughs> and, but what, what I found was really funny is that a lot of people said, well, you know, uh, how can you blame them? They asked nicely to be in the parade and then, you know, the bad, bad pride people wouldn't let them be in the parade. So, you know, it's hypocritical. But, but it's interesting. I, I had a note from um, somebody who used to be the executive director of the Pride Center. Uh, mm-hmm. And she said, we have to fill in that same application form every year. We're the Pride Center. Like, we are, like, the, you know, the, the community drop-in center for the gay community. And every year, we have to apply and fill in all the form. Really? And, yeah. Huh. So she said this wasn't just something that they made up to to embarrass Jason Kenney. It would be interesting to see the Pride Center application, just to see kind of how yeah, complex it is. Because I, I, I said, I'm guessing your application looks a little bit different. She said, yeah, you know, we put a little, more, a little bit more work into it. But, you know, because it, it, it's it's this funny thing. It's sort of the you know, what do they call it? Rainbow washing, right? I mean, when Pride started, it was a protest march, yeah. not a not a dance party down the street. And as as gay rights have become more mainstream and Pride has become a bigger, uh, more mainstream event, there are lots of corporate entities that want to be part of the parade. And so part of, I mean, they didn't make up this application form to embarrass, you know, conservative politicians. They, you know, they want to make sure that if your bank wants to march in the parade, that you have an explanation of what you're doing there apart from marketing 
your corporate logo. So, I mean, they set up this application form so that the parade wouldn't become like a boring corporate, you know, thing. And that's why they make everybody fill in an application form that says, you know, what is your commitment to gay rights? What, what, what have you done for the gay community? What are you planning to do for the gay community? And that was why the UCP got turned down, right? Because it was perceived that they hadn't, they had spent their last number of years not supporting gay rights, particularly Jason Kenney, the leader, had spent his entire political career not supporting gay I rights. I mean, that's part of the reason. Part of the reason is like that they wrote a really crappy application. <laughs> the parade is oversubscribed. So, yeah. you know, that said, this played, this gave everybody what they wanted, right? I mean, frankly, personally, I would have loved to have seen Jason Kenney march in the Pride Parade. I'd have paid cash money to stand on the sidelines and see the reaction from people as Jason Kenney marched down the street. Donned a rainbow feather boa, I would hope. I'm guessing not. I, I think that I think they should have let him in the parade, but not because he deserved to be in the parade, but because it would have been immensely entertaining. <laughs> and, you know, um, we had an interesting moment in the ledge yesterday. Yeah, really touching moment in the ledge. Yeah. Um, the Alberta Party House leader, Rick Fraser, got up and did a very a very emotional... Um, it was a question. It was a question and answer session. He was asking questions of uh, the um, culture minister who was going to be Grand Marshal of the Parade. And he stood up and... I was in the gallery at that time, always there during question period, and he really started choking up. And I was like, oh, crikey, what's he going to be asking about? And he said something about my son, and then he was kind of choke, sobbing out words. And, you know, when that happens in the House, generally all parties will kind of bang their desks so that the member can get their shit together and ask the question. It used to happen to Brian Jean a lot when he was asking questions about healthcare and his son, and people would bang their desks to kind of give them a bit of time oh, to, to let them recover themselves and let them ask this question, but he was having real trouble getting it out. So basically the long and short of it is his son is gay and came out, his son is 17 now I think, and came out when he was 12 years old. Rick Fraser is very, very religious and felt extremely conflicted about it for a very long time, has now come to terms with it is at peace with it to a point but he found this very very emotional and he wanted to ask you know as pride starts he wanted to ask what is you know what are you doing to support the lgbtq community and i thought one at towards the end of when he was speaking he kind of looked around towards the ucp and said um you know for those of you who don't support gay people yet i hope you get there Kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, and that was really interesting. It's interesting because I mean, remember that he was elected as a conservative. Yeah. People assumed because he's a small C conservative, uh, you know, Christian uh, guy from a I don't even call it a urban riding um, that he would fit quite comfortably in the UCP. And when he left the UCP fold to sit with the Alberta Party, there were rumors at the time. People said to me, "Oh, the reason he did that." is because his son is gay and, um, you know, he he and Kenny had a falling out about gay rights. But I could never confirm that. And obviously, you don't want to go around trying to out a child. Um, so I was really intrigued to see that now, months later after the fact, um, that's effectively what he came out and said. Yeah, we'd heard this. It's been talked about, you know, that um, his son was gay. And he found some real pushback from some members of the you know, the old Wild Rose PC parties were not being supportive. There were some in there who were very supportive. Of course, yeah. and But there were some who, who weren't. Like, and, and he could really see that split, uh, which is why, of course, the NDP politically is trying to make, is trying to drive wedges uh, into the UCP over issues like GSAs 
and abortions, mm-hmm. uh, the, the bubble zone. And I imagine looking forward, we're going to see the in the fall sitting. I imagine the NDP take another swings at the uh, UCP. We're thinking by them introducing more bills that will try and uh, bring out um, the more socially conservative. Well, and UCP it won't. It won't just be the NDP. It'll be the Alberta Party trying to make hay with this too, right? The Alberta Party saying to to people, "We're a fiscally conservative party that you know that is not." Has marched in the pride parade right. for many, but, many, but many but years. Has yeah. has the, the lever of power? No, no, no. I'm mean, I mean, actually bringing bills. Well, to try no, and but, make but them. I, I mean, I understand that. But what I mean is, coming into the election cycle, mm-hmm. the Alberta Party, oh, yeah, yeah, led by Stephen Mandel, is going to also try to say, "Hey, if you want to be conservative and not a jerk, you could, you yeah. know." You Which could. is why we're going to see the Alberta Party, to me, take votes away from the. They'll be fishing in the same pond yeah. called Edmonton. Lake Edmonton <laughs> will be fished. <laughs> Greatly by the NDP and the Alberta Party no, next election. But it's going to be really interesting. I mean, Mike, you know, the other little bit of news this week from Edmonton City Hall is that Mike Nickel, a uh, long, you know, fairly long term uh, city councillor, announced that he's going to be uh, running for the UCP nomination in Edmonton South, yeah. which, correct me if I'm wrong, is one of these like made up new ridings um, where I guess we were assuming that Stephen Mandel was going to run for the Alberta Party. Uh, in the election. So uh, Mandel and Nickel have a lot of history. Uh, <laughs> so that's really going to be, we'll, we'll be able to test the waters of things to see, you know, if Mandel can't pick up a riding like that. Um, it's going to be fascinating mm-hmm. to see what happens. Quickly, um, this just in. Uh, there's a tweet <laughs> from Trevor Tome. Uh, he's an economist in Calgary. He's putting today's data from the, the job report from StatsCan. Alberta unemployment falls to 6.2%, lowest level since August 2015. Saskatchewan rises now above Alberta for the first time since 2013. It's interesting <laughs> to see what was... Well, Brad, will just resign and move Well, here, there you so. go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and get a job. We'll see what happens now, of course, but the NDP are going to be crowing about this, and the UCP, they're big fans of the uh, Conservatives, the Saskatchewan party. We'll have to eat a bit of crow on this one, I think, for a little bit. <laughs> Probably. And now let's move on to our regular segment, Good Stuff from the Gallery, in which we recommend things we've seen or heard or listened to lately that we think you, dear listeners, might also enjoy. Clancy, do you want to kick us off, mate? Sure. Well, other than Pride, because there's lots of stuff, watch RuPaul, you know, watch Queer Eye. <laughs> but um, other than that, I'm going to recommend a podcast, which is um, I binge listened to it on my vacation a couple weeks ago and absolutely loved it. Um, it's called The Habitat by Gimlet Media. Oh, Gimlet. They do great stuff. Yeah. And it's really fascinating. It's about a research project um, it's called High Seas, like, which I had heard of before. Um, it's through NASA. It's fu- na- funded by NASA. And it basically puts uh, six qualified people into a habitat in Hawaii for a year uh, to see how they fare together psychologically um, in preparation for potential Mars missions. And the um, the podcast follows them over the course of the year and how they interact with each other. Yeah. They send rec- they're not allowed to con- like really talk to the outside world, so they send recordings to the podcast studio, and then they kind of put the put it together. But it's a really fascinating podcast, and I su- really enjoyed it. So excellent, Paula. What do you have for us? Um, I aside think- from homemade cough remedies, 
Buckley's mixture is not a homemade cough remedy. It is a, a <laughs> traditional mix of hot peppers and turpentine, I think. Um, <laughs> pine needles. Um, I this is a this is a bit of a cheat, but last night uh, Billy Ray Belcourt won the Griffin Prize for his uh, extraordinary poetry collection, "This Wound Is a World." I think I already recommended it once. You did, yeah. But he just won the Griffin Prize, which so now is you really should read. Which it. is like yeah, worth I think like you get ten thousand dollars for showing up and another sixty five thousand for winning. So it's a seventy five thousand dollar prize if you're a poet in your very early 20s that is a very nice thing um and it's pride week and the poetry is you know uh interrogates indigenous issues um gay issues what it means to be a young gay indigenous man uh and he's adorable uh he's just the <laughs> sweetest kid so uh and he's very happy so you should make billy ray happier and go buy his book or you could you know i'll send emma the link to my to my previous profile, with uh, which includes a recording of uh, Billy Ray performing one of his works. Awesome. Thanks, Paula. I'm going to recommend a piece. Uh, it's actually Dan Barnes, who works here at um, Edmonton Journal. He wrote a great insight piece, kind of a deep dive, called The Cycle of Debt, How the Tour of Alberta Went Bankrupt Despite Being a Hit with Fans. Really great piece about that bike race that was... It was quite a, a, a draw card. Cyclists all over the world used to come and do this thing and then... So he took a look at why that happened and what the implications are. It's an excellent piece. And I also want to do a bit of self-promotion. Um, there, Well, not really me, kind of me because I was on the first episode. But there is a new um, weekly news podcast uh, that Post Media is doing called 10.3. And it basically we talk to reporters from all across Canada um, about the latest issues of the week, uh, news-wise. Host, hosted by our own Dave Breckenridge. Yes, who sometimes is on this very same podcast. Produced yeah. by our own Carson Jarama. Yes. <laughs> And this week's starring our own Emma Graney. That's right. Well, starring is pushing it, but I was on there trying to vaguely make sense of pipelines. So if you've missed talking about pipelines this week, <laughs> you, go, <laughs> you can go uh, go and check out 10.3 and uh, you get to hear all the latest about um, from all across Canada too, which is an interesting, interesting way of doing it. And Graham... Take uh, us home. Yeah. Uh, Before Paula dies. <laughs> big political... My, my dad thinks I have consumption. <laughs> is, is that still a thing? I, I, I mean, he <laughs> actually... <laughs> my dad's, my dad's going to be 87 in August. He actually used the word... Cons- he, said, he said, you sound consumptive. <laughs> I felt I felt very 19th century opera heroine. <laughs> You've got the vapors. <laughs> anyway, um, on non-consumptive news or... <laughs> Depends, I guess, on your perspective. Uh, the Ontario election last night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, we were trying to block that, that out. Yeah, um, because it's a you know, big change in the government there. Yeah, huge change. We're going to see people, of course, will be doing columns and trying to dig into what this actually means for anything else. Idiots. Tune into my column tomorrow. <laughs> 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 because my column as, will be the best column, this idiot says. Will be will be trying to... What it means. It's a really interesting. Just um, if you want this, the overall, it's quite interesting. Some deep information here. It's the Global News that a really interesting um, page on Ontario's startling election in eight before and after maps. It looked at th- so if you're really interested in Ontario elections and the details, um, this gives you an interesting look at the maps. And it's not just Liberals turning to PC. It's Liberal writings turning to the NDP. Um, and uh, one Green was elected as well. Oh, what a time to be alive. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's interesting. I don't, I mean, uh, Andrew Leach had a really interesting tweet this morning in which he pointed out, because people are saying, well, you know, but Doug Ford didn't win with most of the 
popular vote in which he said he point, he made this fascinating thing that both Rachel Notley know, and Doug Ford won 40.6% of the popular vote and so he said you know whichever side of the spectrum whatever you're arguing think think about that well, I thought that was quite yeah, a big fascinating part of my column for tomorrow is people it's interesting last election after Notley won the 40.5 percent of the vote People were outraged who were conservatives, saying, "How could this be? How could she win with them? You know, with not a majority of the votes." That's your votes. voting system, Canada. Yeah, exactly. Congratulations. But, but yet, when the conservatives win, and and um, I think uh, Harper got thirty nine point five percent in two thousand eleven, conservatives have no problem with that. Of course not. So, if your team wins <laughs> with forty percent, you're happy. If it loses, then you're upset saying the election is a complete sham. It's exactly the same with Justin Trudeau saying he's going to, you know, bring in proportional representation and then, oh, nah, oh, no. screw it, bugger it, because we won. And Not BC is looking at it only because yep. minority government and the Greens are pushing. We have it in NDP. Australia. It's great and you all should do it. Preferential voting is fun. On that note, guys, thank you so much for joining me, uh, Clancy. Paula Simons on death's door <laughs> and Graham Thompson. I appreciate you all being here for another week on the Press Gallery and I do want to encourage all of our listeners to subscribe and leave us a rating if you would be so kind telling us what you think. Any questions, comments or concerns, reach out to me, egraney at postmedia.com or you can follow me on Twitter at Emma L. Graney. Have an awesome weekend. Happy Pride. Check out events. And we'll see you again this time next week on the Press Gallery. Press Gallery.